Hi, I'm Jacob Bryson, and this is where I came from. Hi, how are you? This week, we will be hearing from my mom about her childhood and upbringing. Okay, I'm nervous. But first, we will get my grandma Rops's perspective on this time in the lives of her family. You know, I think for me, I think I, I can, it was the best life anybody can have. And then, you know, we had kids play, you know, the boys played hockey and the girls for, we were involved in 4-H. I would say we had a pretty normal life. I would say I had pretty good kids, or we we had pretty good kids. I wish I could describe for you the type of person my mom is, but I think my grandma Bryson Hello. has already said it better than I could. Well, I've heard so many people say to uh, Jacob that your mom is a brick, you know, because, it, I mean, if it wasn't for your mom uh, sticking by your dad and moving, I mean, as many times as you folks had moved, you know, because Isaac was just, uh, was he 18 months old when you left Warwick out here? Just a little guy, you know. And, I mean, that's hard, you know. It's got to be. And then make, make new friends. You have to make new friends and settle in, you know. But they've they've really made a lot of friends, haven't they, and done a remarkable job. Now let's see my mom's life through her eyes. She was born in 1967, the third of four kids. Well, I was born on September 18, 1967, and I was born in London, Ontario, in Canada. Um, I don't really know a lot about that because there's only one picture of me as a baby. Um, yeah, like There's one picture of me as a baby. I'm in this bassinet, and it's not even like a newborn picture. It's probably, I don't know, maybe I'm a month old. And then the next picture of me is probably when I'm one and a half. <laughs> There's not a lot of baby pictures. <laughs> um, her parents moved to their farm the same year that she was born, and she lived on that farm for the first 19 years of her life. Yeah, but I do know that when I was, that year that I was born, that's the year that your grandma and grandpa moved to the farm. So it was uh, probably a busy year, right, because grandpa was still working in insulation, and he took over the, um, his mom and dad's farm. And then they had three little kids, and um, and a newborn baby, so that was probably, well, I'm sure a very busy time. Maybe that's why there aren't a lot of pictures of me when I was little. <laughs> and I was and I was third child, so that, uh, that probably says a lot, too. Her first memory is from when she was very young. Oh, oh yeah. My very first memory, I'm sure, if, I don't know if I've told you this, but my very first memory is of the man going on the moon, of Neil Armstrong on the moon. So that, that was July of 1969, so I wasn't even two years old yet, and I just remember my dad telling us all that we had, we had the TV on, and he was telling us we all had to go and deliver and watch this, you know, the, the man land on the moon, and I was so mad. I didn't want to sit there. I was so bored. I thought it was so boring. I didn't really, I didn't really, under, I, he must have, he must have said it enough for me to, to, to remember what he was saying, but I really didn't get it because I was like I wasn't even two years old. But he just kept saying, he was saying, "Man is landing on the moon." He said, "This is history, 
being made. You have to watch this. This is history being made. And I remember those were his exact words. So I just, so we were forced to sit and watch it, which I'm so grateful for now because that's seriously, I'm sure that's, I think that's my very, very first memory. She also has early memories of her relationship with her siblings. <laughs> actually, I, actually, another memory I have, which is probably on the same time as the man, as Neil Armstrong went on the moon. It would have been that same summer. We had a family picture taken. And so there's just the three of us kids. Uncle um, Uncle Dave wouldn't have been born yet. And okay, you know the story. You know the stories of Aunt Marianne. We were growing up. She was kind of the bossy boots, and she was the one that kind of ruled the roost at home. And she always wanted to be my dad's favorite, right? She always bragged that she was she was she was you know daddy's little girl, daddy's favorite. So we're having this family picture taken. I don't even know who was taking it because it was just in the backyard beside our picnic table, and she assumed that, you know, that my dad would be holding her in the picture and the rest of us, you know, the schmucks standing on the grass. And, uh, and no, um, I, was, I was the youngest, so Grandma must have said, no, you know, your dad's going to hold Linda. And Marianne put up such a stink. She was so grumpy and so miserable about that <laughs> that, my, you know, that my dad didn't get to hold her. And I remember him holding me in this picture, and I was just feeling like on top of the world. It was like, huh, he's holding me and not her. And I was only like one and a half years old, right? Oh, a little bit older than that, but I wasn't even two yet. And I remember thinking, huh, you're not going to get all this attention this time. Like, <laughs> so, yeah, I just don't even like at a very young age, like there was always like growing up with Aunt Marianne, I love her to pieces, right? We're very close, but she was always the dominant one of the of the siblings for sure. Though some of her siblings seem to be more memorable than others. <laughs> That's exactly it. I, don't, I have no recollection of of um, my brother Dave being born or coming coming home, like of you know Grandma and him coming home from the hospital. Like, not at all. Yep. Because I yeah it was yeah isn't that funny how you remember some things and other things you just don't. From early on in my mom's life, the responsibilities of living on a farm were clear. There were girl jobs and boy jobs, so the boys the boys did the chores in the barn, and the girls did the did the work in the house, and that was very that was laid out very very early for us that that yeah that the boys the boys work was not in the house, so if they needed anything, we were supposed to do it for our brothers, which Aunt Mary and I did not think that was cool at all. And everyone did their part. Once Grandpa stayed home, he stayed home. Um... He worked for six years, so I think it was 1973 that he stayed home and we full-time farming. We did everything, all the work, we worked together, except maybe for picking stones. <laughs> but he was always doing other things, and I, and I just didn't want to leave him. It's you know, partly my own fault, really, because I just, okay, let's get him done. Oh, he had all kinds of reasons not to pick stones. All kinds of things. He usually had to... Well, it's, but with timing, he'd always say he'd have to like spray like, with the, for the herbicides and stuff. And he always had, he always there was always something else to do, or there was you know a soccer game or something. But yeah, Grandpa was really good at not picking stones. The farm also provided ways for the kids to make money over the summer. So us kids, we had the first year we did it. I think it was I think it was when I was kindergarten grade one. But we for our you know, quote-unquote summer jobs. Grandpa would plant, I think it was about a half an acre of cucumbers. 
for us, and then we had to spend um, every morning. We usually have to get up early, like usually from about 7 in the morning till, till about noon. We'd be done picking at noon every day, but we cucumbers, and then we'd sell them to, like, Bix for, for pickles and relish and stuff. So, oh, my gosh. I picked cucumbers every summer until from about six years old until I was old enough to, like, go out and get a, you know, get a real summer job. My mom started school when she was four years old. I went to school at St. John Fisher for elementary school, so that's in Forest, Ontario, from junior kindergarten in Ontario. They have junior kindergarten. I was the very first year that they had junior kindergarten, so I started at four um, through to grade eight, and then I went to high school at North Lampton Secondary School in Forest from nine to to 13 because they had grade 13 back then. Yeah, like the friend group because... It was a small town, and you're in the same school with the same group of kids from junior, from four years old to 13. It doesn't change, right? Like you have the same girls and the same boys that you're going to school with the whole time. So um, friend group was what it was for that whole time. You know, you have you know you have some kids come and go, but it wasn't a very transient community. So kids that were there were always there. Um, and you know, it's, and it's interesting because even though I don't see them really anymore, but you always feel connected to those to those families and those kids because they're all Dutch Catholic families, right? So, you know, my mom and dad would know their parents, and their parents would know them, and they would know me, and I could go up to any of them now, and they would still like even like the parents, they would know who I was, and um, so it's been pretty pretty close knit way to grow up. So not everything from that school was so nice. For sure, um, teachers. My grade one teacher, Mrs. Woodward, was very mean. <laughs> and I'm not just saying that, but you talk to anybody who had Mrs. Woodward in grade one, and there was a lot of kids who had Mrs. Woodward in grade one because she taught till she was probably 78 years old. I'll say that Mrs. Woodward. My mom also got into a little trouble. Of course, back then, kids could have the strap, right? And or teachers could have kids across the head or on the hand with a ruler and... Um, and I got in trouble with her once for bringing Aunt Marianne's skipping rope to school. Do you know the story? I was always kind of scared of your Aunt Marianne growing up because she was quite bossy and dominant, and you know she would threaten me with lots of things if I didn't do what she said. So when I was in grade one, it was really popular to do, to skip at recess, and now you know, all the girls would have their skipping ropes and be doing their skipping at recess. But I didn't have a skipping rope, but Aunt Marianne had a skipping rope. So I had asked my sister if I could bring her skipping rope to school so I could play with it at recess, and she said, absolutely not. No, there's no way I was allowed to have her skipping rope. But I really, really wanted to have a skipping rope at recess because I just wanted to, you know, be like all the other girls' skipping ropes. So I, I took it anyway and put it in my bag, brought it to school, but it was a really, like, wet, muddy kind of a day, so the skipping rope got all dirty at recess. So after last recess, I went to the washroom, to, and I was so I had the skipping rope in the sink, and I'm trying to clean it because I didn't want to bring it home dirty because my sister would know that I brought the skipping rope to school. So I'm in the washroom, and I'm cleaning up the skipping rope, and then, of course, Mrs. Woodward, my grade one teacher, was you know taking roll call after recess, and I was missing, so she went looking for me and found me in the washroom cleaning the skipping rope. And she, oh, she got so mad at me, and she took the skipping rope and she sent me back to class and then she put the skipping rope on her desk and then she put me over her knee in front of the whole class and spanked me 
and she told me that I wasn't allowed to take that skipping rope home. So I was in a panic because I thought, oh my gosh, I have to, I have to bring that skipping rope home. Um, so I was more, obviously I was more scared of my sister than the teacher because when it was time to go home that day when she was distracted, I nabbed the skipping rope off her desk and brought it home. I thought I would ask my mom what it was like to go to school back in the 80s, but I don't think she liked the assertion that that was very long ago. It was the 80s, Jacob. <laughs> but still, things were different back then. Right. Well, yeah, I guess, and you wouldn't, you couldn't text just to see what was going on. You'd have to actually call, call the house. And then, if you were on a farm, you had a party line. Well, I grew up, of course, my, my Opa Rops lived beside us. So if you're on a party line, like, everybody has their own ring, so you know if it's if, if the phone's for you or for the neighbor. So our ring was a long, short, long, and that was our ring, and Opa's was, like, a long, short, short. He, of course, he knew ours was a long, short, long, so every time every time he heard our phone our phone ring, our, our long, short, long, and he had nothing else to do, he would pick up the phone and listen. Cause was, <laughs> so as a teenager, you can just imagine, right? Like, it was like, okay, you know, Opa's, my grandpa's listening on the phone. So I would always have this, you know, this kind of code with my friends that we'd pretend to hang up. We'd say we'd pretend to close the conversation, and then as soon as we heard a click, we could always hear if someone kind of picks up. And even if they try to be really careful, you can still hear the click. So, so then you'd wait for the click to happen. Okay, then you'd okay. Opa's hung up. He thinks we're off the phone, and then we, you know, we continue our conversation. But so in those days too, right? So with a party line. My dad was not a phone guy. Like the phone was for business, and it wasn't for 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 carrying on for social conversations because you could do that during the school day. You need to do that, you know, at, at in the evenings at home and and use up the, you know, take up the phone. So he used to. Oh, he. My dad would get so impatient. You know, I think the um, one of the just socially in high school. Like I think what. We had as an advantage, without all that technology, was you know high school can be really dramatic, right? You know, the what just dramatic between you know the boy girl thing or you know girls fighting or one girl being mean to another, whatever. All this high school drama that that I don't think that ever changes, right? That's I think that that's from day one. Teenagers are just like that. But you know, if you had a fight with your best friend on a Friday, let's say. You didn't have, A, no one needed to know, um, and you could have all weekend to think about it, to stew about it, to try to figure out how to rectify the situation and go back to school on Monday and kind of with a, with, you know, with a fresh perspective. And I think, you know, high schoolers nowadays, you have a fight, you know, everybody knows about it. Everybody has something to say about it. Everybody's texting. And before you know it, the story is is spun and... You don't even have a. You don't have. You, kids don't have time to to digest and to figure out how to solve problems without social media, because social media just. I think a lot of times for these teenagers, dic- just dictates how you feel about things or how you should feel about things or how everybody else feels about things, and you don't really get in tune with you know how you want to feel about it or how you should feel about it because you're so consumed with. Everybody else's input 24-7. It never it never goes away. My mom was quite persuasive as a teenager. She pushed the family to go on their one big vacation. Mm-hmm. I said, 
you know, we should, we need to do a big family trip because Uncle Marty, because Marty's going to be going off to university, and then Marianne was wasn't going to do grade thirteen. She was just going to go to Fanshawe for nursing. So Marty and Marianne will be gone, and and that's it. All of our opportunities for family vacations will be done, and you guys haven't you haven't taken advantage of it at all. You <laughs> put the the huge guilt trip on them, and you know, just just being a just being a bratty kid more than anything. And I was so surprised about a week later they came back and they said that we were going to go to Disney World. I could not believe that my tactics worked. I was so, so impressed with myself. <laughs> One of my mom's other interests also allowed her to travel around as a teen. I mean, I love band. <laughs> I, was a, I, was a, I was one of those band geeks. I love band and just the whole band group was really, really great. That was, for me, that was a really positive thing in, in high school. We went to New York. And when I was at grade 11, so that would have been 1984. And we went to Chicago the year before that. That would have been 83. And then we did, when Expo was in Vancouver in 86, we went to Expo in Vancouver. My mom's life in high school was not only about the school itself. She worked hard over the summers, but it was also full of fun right out of an 80s movie. My first summer job... Uh, it would have been picking raspberries for a neighbor uh, miles down the road. And we were, I hated it because he, yeah, we had we had big long eight-hour days. And he paid us, I think, 10 cents or 15 cents to pick a quarter raspberries. Which, if you've ever picked raspberries before, it's, you can't, I mean, they're, they're little, right? So it takes a while to, to pick a quarter raspberries. So I think my first day I made like a dollar ten, and even I mean, no, this was in the eighties, but that was not. I mean, I would make a dollar an hour babysitting, and I made a whole dollar ten for the whole day working in the in the hot raspberry bushes. So, um, but my mother used to say, "You've got to start from the bottom and work your way up. You're not gonna, you know, get a high paying job when you're I was probably twelve, thirteen, maybe then." And um, but after about three days of working there and probably coming home with three or four dollars, then my mom. I think realize that yeah, this was not that the I think exactly. So that that didn't last long. I was probably about twelve or thirteen, and then the next summer, I babysat for a family that lived down the road. So I would just ride my down to um, to their house, and I would babysit just in the morning. So it was it was a good job for a thirteen year old, right? At the two every morning, and be back by noon or one o'clock. Um, and then after that, then I got a summer job working at a restaurant in Iberwash Beach. So I was there for two summers, which was a lot of fun because my one of my very well, my one of my very best friends, Nancy, like Nancy McDonald, we worked together there. So that was that was fun. And by that time, I was I think I was in grade ten then. So we would you know we go in you know, to the beach early, and we'd lay on the beach with our big ghetto blaster, right, thinking we were so cool, and, you know, a couple hours before work, before we had to go to work, so we'd lay on the beach for a couple hours, and then we'd go into into the restaurant and work, and then, um, if it was still light out, probably go back to the beach for a little while, but yeah, we thought, we we thought that summer, because that was the first summer that, was I, I don't think I was driving, maybe I still had to get dropped off, anyway, that's kind of irrelevant, but the first summer that I kind of had a little bit of freedom. I could do my ownish thing, right? So I just remember that summer was, like, awesome because we were the beach, and then, yeah, Nancy had a huge ghetto blaster. And, um, and you know, music takes you back, right? So this would have been in 98. This was in 84 because the Cars came out with their album. I think they all called Cars. 
so that that album is like for me it's that's the summer of eighty four love we played and then um oh the name of the band with um jump who sings jump van Halen they had they had a big album out then too, so that was that whole summer that was it was yeah van Halen and cars that summer it's a fun summer. So I worked for two summers, and then I went, and then after that, I went to the Pinery Park and worked in the store there. Worked there for three summers. So when you talk about funny high school stories, it wasn't really high school, but but probably the the funnest times I had during my high school years was at the Pinery. A lot of fun there because Nancy worked there, and then her brother Rick was there, and my brother worked there, um, and then we had a couple other just fun kids to work with, and we suggest. We used to just do just really silly things, like really fun things. Yeah, like hide in the ice chest. and <laughs> It was usually Rick who would do the funny things. Like he would like hide in the ice chest. So when customers came to get a bag of ice, he'd be sitting there in the ice chest. Scary. He would scare the customers. Like he would scare them. And then he'd be like, oh, blocks, blocks or cubes. <laughs> and get people saying, what? Like, would you like a bank? Would you like blocks or cubes? <laughs> and he would do it with such a straight, you know, like sincere face, right? <laughs> oh, and then he'd pass them their bag of ice, and then they didn't know if they should shut the door on him or not. <laughs> if they should leave him in there or what they need to do. <laughs> oh, gosh. He used to do the funniest stuff. Oh, goodness. So this brings us to where she met my dad. If you want to hear how that part of the story goes, you'll have to be patient. Next week, we will be hearing from my dad about his childhood and how his life came to meet up with my moms. I'm Jacob Bryson, and thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.